Well, Patty, I'm really excited about today's episode. I've been wanting to talk about selling payroll processing for a long time. You know, and and what's really cool is I always thought myself, the payroll processing is just one of those ho-hum kind of things. Right. After right. talking with Robert and and hearing your personal experience, yeah. Uh, wow, this is an awesome opportunity that people really yeah. should be considering if they're not doing it already. Yeah, and you know what's one point I wanted to make that we actually don't make in the interview that I didn't even bring up is the thing I love about payroll processing, not only is like every merchant is a, is an, a good prospect for right. payroll processing, but you know what's interesting is a lot of merchants that you would not normally go after, your factories, mm-hmm. you know, places like that, those are like hotels, a lot of, uh, pre, you know, reps are like, they would never go after that. Right. But I'll tell you, the independent motels and hotels, the factories, as long as they've got employees, you can sell them. And, you know, just like credit card processing, you're making that little bit of money on every transaction. Payroll processing, you're making that money on every employee, on every payroll that they run, usually every week. Yeah. And, you know, I remember, you know, all of my career with being in publishing houses, I can't tell you how many times they changed payroll processing companies. Yes. Uh, those crazy. Are, you know, bit small businesses, even like insurance agencies or law yes. offices are, right. are really ob- obvious prospects for this. They may not be for the credit card, right. but that doesn't mean you can't sell right. them payroll processing. Well, I think that's a great interview. And then tell us about the uh, uh, Insiders Report. Oh, we have a, another green light on surcharging. I think everybody's going to be excited about. And then I thought your uh, qu- the question from the field this week was really awesome, James. Yeah, well, to... the fact that I think I used the word idiot three or four times just out, yeah, of, out, well, out of my passion. And, you know, I'm sorry, but I know, but you got so like... passionate about it. It's, you know, it's, it's what makes it very, <laughs> very uh, enlightening. Yeah, well, we're, we're talking about use of capital, of course. And uh, yeah, let's just suffice it to say that people in our industry are, are not making the best investments. And as a result, they're not getting the return on investment that they could. They're missing opportunity. And I just always hate when I see that. I've right. seen even more of it lately. For some reason, been a rash of it lately as I'm talking to people. So we talk about that. So I, I don't know about you, Patty, but I think this is a great episode. I'm ready to dive in if you are. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. We are here today with Robert Heinrich. Robert is the VP of sales for SimPay. How are you doing today, Robert? I am doing well. How about yourself? Doing fantastic. So really excited, actually. We've been wanting to have this conversation for a while, talking about how to sell payroll processing services and really diving into the details on that. But before we do, Robert, we'd love to get your backstory. Tell us how you ended up in this crazy industry and then how you ended up working with SimPay on uh, payroll processing, among many other things I know. Yeah, thanks for having me, James. I appreciate sure. it. Uh, I always like to hear somebody's story, how they got in this industry, right? So yeah. uh, when I was uh, going to school, I had graduated, um, had an interview with a company that was selling credit card equipment, you know, and I got my degree in finance. And so I knew we were moving at the time to a cashless society, right? And this was back in 1999. Right. Um, so anyways, long story short was I got um, hired for a company called TAS Technology out here in sure. uh, Rockland, California. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, I began uh, selling equipment, supplies, and employment services. Uh, so I did that for about three and a half years. And uh, 2003, First Data had bought us out, right? And we were all right. excited. Wow, we're going to work for this 800-pound gorilla, uh-huh. uh, the Microsoft of the payment space. This is fantastic. And in the first six months, I was like, hmm. Working for a large company is not as great as it seems, especially uh-huh. when you're going to school, right? So that being said, I got recruited by many of uh, 
my different processors and ISOs and said, hey, come work on the payment side of things, right? Uh, right. That is the wave of the future. Get away from the equipment, uh, residual income, and making money on residual income is the way to go. So I did that in 2004. I became a national sales manager for a large ISO at the time. Uh, where we began selling uh, the free credit card terminal, right? The uh, the uh, yes, Lipton right. 2085s they were given away for oh, free. Yeah, we kind of we kind of blew that out of the water, right? And really started to grow that. And then in 2007, Lazarus, who is the CEO of Alpha Card Services, asked me to come on board as the VP of Sales. Him and I had been friends way back in 1999 when I was working for Task Technology. I sold him equipment and things of that nature. So I came on board in 2007. Um, and been with Alpha Card Services ever since. Now, in 2016, uh, we started to change our name because uh, we added more products and services to, to our whole suite of goods, right? So we became SimPay. We wanted to make it simple for payments, whether we're accepting payments or going to be paying the employees. We changed our name to SimPay. Oh, that was a cool, cool way to transition the name, too, because, yeah. yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah, if you well. think of Alpha Card Services, you think of uh, payment processing, and we were right. so much more than that. And we wanted to be known yeah. uh, for payments, just not uh, acceptance of credit cards. Right. Well, well, that's probably a really great segue, or maybe not, but still, we're going to make it a segue into payroll services, since that's our topic today. And I wanted to get a sense, and you know, can we just start out with some real basics, Robert, in terms of what is payroll processing? What are merchants looking for and, and uh, what a business is like yours doing to meet those needs? Yeah. So, you know, back in 2015, when I was with SimPay, we had all kinds of problems. We were changing payroll companies like every four or five or six months. Mm-hmm. And it kept making all kinds of errors, whether it's, you right. know, uh, misspelling of names or, or not paying employees or paying them the wrong amount, taxes and things of that nature. And we went through probably in 2015, about four different companies Wow. Um, so we said, you know what, why don't we try to do this in-house? And of course, mm-hmm. we made those same mistakes, right? We For, for 18 months, uh, we learned the game. We learned how to perfect that. And then in 2017, he said, you know what? I bet a lot of our customers are having the exact same problems as we are. Mm-hmm. So why don't we release this product as another value-added service, right, uh, to our whole uh, portfolio of merchants, and then obviously give it to our resellers as well. So not only can they be more valuable, uh, to their customers, but they can have another revenue source as well. So right. in, in general, payroll is pretty simple. I, I know a lot of payment people or people in the, people in the payment space are, are um, kind of hard when it comes to change, right? They don't like change that much, but payroll is very, very simple for the most part, right? It has three main components. You know, how many employees does the business have? What's the frequency they're paying these employees, right? It's either weekly, bi-weekly, or bi-monthly, right? The difference, bi-weekly is there's 26 pay periods, bi-monthly, there's 24 pay periods. And then most importantly, how are they paying those employees? Is it a physical paycheck? Is it a direct deposit? Or is it a payroll card, right? It's a, it's a MasterCard or Visa branded card. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a prepaid card that can be utilized to put the, those funds on and be used anywhere in the world as long as they accept Visa or MasterCard. Yeah. So, when it comes, you know, to managing employees, nothing's more important than making sure they get paid accurately and on time, right? We witnessed right. that, right? And that's why we became a, a payroll company, right? Um, so whether it's a simple payroll, you know, you have maybe two or three or four uh, employees, or maybe you have multiple locations, right? Simply can handle nearly every type of payroll account. Um, but 
there goes a little bit more beyond just paying those employees, right? Right, right. Um, what's the back? What's in the background, right? Right. So it's about you know collecting federal, state, and local payroll taxes, which we do, right? And mm-hmm. uh, we personally guarantee uh, that we're keeping the merchant in compliance with federal, state, okay. local, all those payroll taxes, right? Right. Um, one of the key responsibilities of a payroll company is to make it easier to monitor employee time and attendance, right? So we have a web-based solution that can be accessed by any web browser. This solution will reduce labor costs, minimize errors, empower the merchant to manage their business with maximum efficiency and compliance, right? So if you can clock in, you can clock out through this. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can schedule PTO, time off. Mm -hmm. Uh, The manager can see that. They can approve it or decline it. Um, you can do multiple things on it, uh, such from an HR perspective, right? You can create employee handbooks and making sure employees are signing off on those, those handbooks right on the portal. Um, so you can run background checks uh, on new employees. You can create performance and storing performance reviews for employees mm, all okay. on this web portal. Employees uh-huh. can also access this portal. Uh, where they can change their personal contact information, the number of dependents. They can view all their pay stubs, W-2s. So all that is a very, very important to have it at the employee's fingertips so they're not bothering human resources or the owner or whoever is, is responsible for doing all this stuff. So it gives that owner and those managers more time to be able to work on the business. Sure. So Robert, one of the things before we dive in too much more of the details, one of the things I was really excited to talk to you about was kind of the rationale for selling payroll processing. Um, a lot of my audience probably doesn't even know that I used to sell payroll processing uh, when I was selling credit card processing. Um, and the reason I did it, and then I'll turn it over to you to give us more, more uh, con, you know, context here. But you know, for me, it was like so similar. It was just kind of a no brainer of, you know, the the implementation of it is very different. But as far as the rationale for the merchant was, this is a cost, you know, I have to process payroll. I want it to be convenient. I want it to be seamless. I don't have to worry about it. And I want to do it as as cost effectively as I can. Um, And so to me, it kind of was like an obvious, like total 100% overlap. Everybody needs payroll processing if you have employees and everybody needs credit card processing. But from your perspective, and as you're talking to ISOs and agents, what is the rationale? Why should they consider adding payroll processing to, you know, to their offerings to merchants? I, th- I think the first question I ask is, right, 80% of uh, your customers are the business owners. They're outsourcing payroll to a third party. Right. And why isn't that you, right? Mm-hmm. So if you already have that relationship, whether it's point of sale, payment processing, why aren't they also buying payroll services for you, right? So tremendous benefits offering payroll services to your customers, right? Number one, you are much more important by adding an additional service other than just payment processing, right? You're making that merchant more sticky. Um, And the customer is going to stay with you twice as long as if you just had payment processing, right? Right. So you're adding another lifetime residual income, which always makes you more profitable. You know, how many accounts today do you have that you wish that were more profitable when it comes to payment processing? Maybe you just got into the industry, man, and you were selling every merchant and you were selling it basically at your cost and making very little money to it. And they're calling you all the time. Or here's a, a nice product that you can add, you know, to this yeah. particular merchant where now you can be a lot more profitable, right? Or how many accounts are you afraid of losing to the competition because mm-hmm. your profit margins are very large? We know customers are being contacted anywhere from five to 20 times a month. 
So an example would be maybe you're, you're netting $500 a month in payment processing residuals. And how are you making sure that the competition is not coming in there and going to eat at those margins, right? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to give payroll processing away for free and maybe your cost is $60, $70? So you can maintain that $500 residual stream on payment processing by tying in the payroll services for free. So there's many different ways to be successful when adding payroll uh, to your suite of products. Yeah, I, I like it. And so, so let's let's talk about this because this is interesting. You're talking about you know, giving it away for free or or charging for it or whatever. Let's talk about the billing for a second. Mm-hmm. So, how does the billing work? Um, what sort of fees do, do merchants actually pay for payroll processing? Give us a little bit more context of how that side of it works, and also yeah. maybe how the ISO profits from those fees. Absolutely, we try to keep it simple. Uh, so. Uh, the long and short of it is, is we share in revenue streams on payroll processing, just like we do with payment processing. It's a revenue share. It's a lifetime residual income. Um, so basically, our resellers, their cost is $50 a month and a dollar per employee. So it doesn't matter if the merchants are doing weekly, bi-weekly, or bi-monthly, or even monthly payroll services. Their cost is still the same. And the way the merchants are being billed, it's per payroll process, per employee, and then there's optional um, solutions such as workman's compensation, the HR portal, and things of that nature. But it's really, really simple. It's per payroll process and per employee. That's yeah. it. Yeah, I love it. And then and then these fees are collected. Like you mentioned, there's kind of like a Schedule A cost, to use the terminology from our industry, right? We call it a Schedule B, right? We want to keep it sure. separate. Schedule yes. A for payment processing and I Schedule like B for payroll services, yes. Sure. And so, again, I you know, from my perspective, this is one of the reasons I'm so bullish about payment processing is because – it's very, very similar as far as, again, I know it's totally different as far as the implementation and what you're doing, but from a sales perspective, at least for me, when I was out selling it, it was very easy for me to go in and, you know, I would choose which I was going to lead off with based on my initial conversation. You know, somebody would say, Mm -hmm. well, I've got a huge company. We have, you know, uh, we already have a payment processor that's integrated with our ERP system. We'll consider it, but it might take us four months to make this decision. I'm like, okay, let's talk about payroll processing. You know, because <laughs> <laughs> sure. they, they've got a hundred employees. I'm going to make a fortune on this deal, payroll processing. And, right. you know, and, and it's interesting because it's so much less competitive, at least when I was selling it, you know, it wasn't like people are saying, oh, you're the fourth person this week to talk to me about payroll processing. Mm-hmm. I was the first person in five years to talk to him about it. You know, it's like nobody right. talks about it. Um, you know, maybe ADP or somebody is, you know, has a rep that sent a few emails or something. But I mean, as far as somebody aggressively marketing it, direct sales, it just, um, you know, again, it just doesn't happen as much. So, so let me ask you this, to give our audience a little bit more context for how big this market is and kind of the audience. Um, when you're talking about businesses that have, let's say 10 or more employees, you know, what percentage of those businesses are already using payroll processing services, roughly, if you had to guess, what would you say that would percentage would be? Yeah, so that, be, that being said, is 80% of all small businesses um, are out seeing payroll services, right? Yep. Um, they find it very difficult to, to stay ahead of the, the payroll tax laws. Um, you know, another reason outsourcing payroll becomes necessary, as most are not aware, are all the deductions, the incentives, the refunds yes. uh, that their small businesses may be entitled to receive. Payroll is already one of the largest expenses a business has. And mistakes on payroll can be even more costly. Um, So 78% of businesses surveyed in 2020 said that uh, the varying labor laws across cities, states, municipalities, uh, just make it so much harder to understand the payroll, making sure they're doing payroll services correctly. Um, So as you said, um, there was far fewer salespeople that are selling payroll services, especially 
throughout the year. Most right. of the, your ADP and your paychecks and those kind of salespeople, uh, they're really selling payroll uh, towards the end of the year, which is Q4, to start fresh Q1 right. of the next year. So right. you get a lot less competition. Uh, what's also important on payroll, there's no contracts, right? There's no early termination fees like most payment processing right. contracts. So it is easier to switch those accounts. It is a lot more uh, um, paperwork. Yeah. Uh, operation, which we take on all right, exactly. there's a For you, lot of work. physical labor uh, that, that we're doing um, on boarding a brand new account. But once you have that account um, and you have the payment processing, again, you're going to be able to keep that account twice as long. Mm, interesting. Interesting. What about the merchants out there, Robert, that, you know, are doing it themselves or using something like QuickBooks to help them with their payroll you know, why should they consider, I mean, I kind of sense that you've given us this answer, but I like to just dive a little bit deeper into why they should be considering using paying for a payroll service. I mean, not that they don't pay QuickBooks, but it's a pretty minimal fee. Yeah. So, so that being said is, you know, I like to kind of address, you know, maybe that, uh, that business owner who wants to do it internally themselves. A lot of them are control freaks, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the salespeople are control freaks as well. It's hard to be able to give up things. So mm -hmm. again, it's a discovery stage that you got to find out, right? So I like to ask them why they got into the particular business that they got into. And they're going to show their passion of what they're passionate about, right? They're selling widgets or whatever they're doing mm -hmm. and say, wouldn't it be great if I can take some time away from you uh, on a weekly or a monthly basis, so you can take more time running your business, right? Mm -hmm. So that being said, uh, a business owner on average takes five hours per pay period just to do payroll services, right? So how many hours, and that's, that's a question I would ask them, are you wasting you know, running your payroll if you're doing it in-house? Um, not only that, but what is the liability now if you become audited? Because 40% of businesses with more than 10 employees will be audited or fined. And right. how much time is that going to take out of your day or month or a quarter just to go through that audit? So you got to find those pain points, right? And say, wow, you know what? I am passionate about running my business. And maybe I should let go of this payroll thing. And I could get audited. And my gosh, I would just take up too much of my time. Right. And, you know, and, and what's going to happen to my business if that happens, right? right. And so, you know, those, those, uh, business owners that are using QuickBooks, right? Uh, the most complaints, if you go on and just do a quick review, a QuickBooks payroll, you know, go online, find out what those uh, multiple problems are, right? It's their updates. They're always having an update on their software. And when they're running updates on their software, they're losing files. Uh, they're crashing their, their, their system. And then when they call in to support, they get no support. And you're just right. getting a call center as well. So, right. you know, very important to us is, when you're a payroll client here with Simpay, you're given your own dedicated relationship manager. Because unlike payment processing, uh, merchants are calling in all the time, whether it's uh, giving their time and attendance or they got a question about uh, an HR question about an employee or how they add a new employee to our back office system. There's always positive conversations or there's a relationship that's building there. So mm -hmm. when there is a problem, somewhere down the road, they've already had this relationship and our relationship manager already knows their business and just makes it easier and a better experience when you have that dedicated relationship manager when it comes to Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's super important because, you know, again, with, with payroll processing, I mean, our business as an example, we have a lot of employees and, you know, I would say we talk to our payroll provider more than any other vendor. 
I mean, without a doubt, I'm sure that's true. Um, and the reason is, as you pointed out, I mean, there's just a lot of things that have to be done. There's a lot of, you know, this person's getting a bonus. This person needs a reimbursement. Um, this person got a raise. We fired this person. We hired this person. All of those things are going to generate some kind of activity on our payroll processing. And so I think that's super important. So so let's let's switch gears a little bit. I, I think our audience has a general idea of the payroll processing. I think you've done a great job, Robert, of explaining that piece of it. Let's talk about the sales process. So my first question is, when you're looking at ISOs and agents that have successfully sold payroll processing, have you noticed a trend in terms of, are they generally leading off with payroll processing or, and then backing into merchant services? Are they going after merchant services and backing into payroll? Is it a combination? Like, what are you seeing that's actually working in the marketplace today? Yeah, I think the, the most successful resellers are those that already have an existing book of business, right? It's usually payment processing. Mm-hmm. And so instead of cold calling, right. Uh, when it comes to payroll services, it's a warm call when you're reaching out to that existing book of business. Sure. Right? And so there are usually two questions that you want to start with, right? So do I go after my low profit margins and I want to increase those profit margins uh, and go after those types of merchants? And that's usually the case, right? Because, you know, I'm new to this. I might stumble a little bit. Right. Um, and if I stumble, I want to go on those low profit margins, you know, and sure. I do well. Um, but a lot of people have had success as well as going after those larger profit margins, right? And so how am I going to make sure that I retain this account, right? I'm making 500, 600, $1,000 on this particular account, making sure that the competition doesn't come in here and, and steal that account right. or make them lower my profit margins because uh, due to fear that I might lose that account, right? So. Right. We, you know, you don't have a lot of people in the payment space that are selling payroll services, right? So yeah. a competitor comes in there and says, hey, I can save you four or $500 on, on your payment processing. That merchant should say then, well, great. What can you do on payroll? Mm-hmm. The competitor's going to say, well, I'll go to my ADP or my paychecks guy, my referral partner. He'll come in and talk to you. But that referral partner is going to come in and get upset, come and yell at you. Hey, don't ever refer me to a customer who's you know, giving stuff away for free when it comes to, to payroll services. So going after those larger profit margins and maybe giving away at your cost or maybe even for free is going to be able to tie you into both of those products and both of those services, right? right. Instead of trying to try to increase uh, your, your profit margins, increase pricing when it comes to payment processing, you just enter the product or service. It makes it much easier yeah. that way. A merchant wants to know, what am I getting? If you're going to raise right. my costs right. on payment process, what do I get out of that? Right. If you're adding another product or services, obviously they're gaining something. It makes it much easier for them to swallow that. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sure. I'll, I'll even say, you know, as the as the greedy capitalist uh, salesperson, you know, I was making a lot of margin on my big accounts, and then I went and sold payroll processing at a very huge margin as well, <laughs> and it worked out good. So, you know, because a lot of times the the truth is, you know, canceling payroll processing, which I'm going to talk about next year with you, is very different than canceling credit card processing. Right. Um, it's not something that a merchant is going to do lightly. So yeah, they've, yeah. they've canceled their process. They've switched processors five times in the last seven years. You know, get a new terminal, big whoop, we're fine. You know, canceling a payroll processing provider is a little bit different. So, you know, let's talk about that a little bit, Robert. So it's, you know, as it relates to the sales process, you mentioned about ADP and how they're generally focused on Q4 for a Q1 fresh start. You know, why is that? And can you explain kind of that sales process? Okay, I'm a sales rep. I, I don't know really that much about payroll processing. I know merchant services. So I sell somebody right now and, you know, going into July here, you know, what happens next? How does this transition work? Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. And 
I liken uh, payroll to POS, right? We know, you know when, when a merchant has a point of sale solution, a point of sale software that helps them run their business more efficiently, and, and they're used to that software and they know it backwards and forwards, right. they're less likely to move the payment process because it's fully integrated and it's usually proprietary, right? Mm-hmm. Payroll is kind of the same thing, right? So when you're setting up a new payroll account, we need to have all the data on all the employees, right? From, from date of birth, you know, to when they started. Um, and most importantly um, is we need to have, if they're going to start in July, uh, we need to have all the data from January through June because we need to input all that tax information right. into our back office portal. Now, we're also going to audit that data. We need to audit that data to make sure that that old payroll company uh, was taking out the proper taxes. Because mm-hmm. if they weren't taking off those proper taxes, we need to notify the merchant, hey, you might want to you know, raise the flag and say, hey, um, unfortunately, IRS, state, local, I'm not taking out enough taxes. I'm going to self-report and say, I made a mistake, my old payroll company. And moving forward, we're going to do the right thing where you can now eliminate any fines that may have been if you did, we didn't catch that. And most importantly, if you were taking out fewer taxes, now that we play that new employee, that their paycheck might be smaller because I'm taking out more taxes. So it's important for that employee to understand the right tax amount as well. Um, so that being said, it's easier why ADP and paychecks usually start fresh Mm-hmm. Uh, Q1 of the next year. I don't have to have all that reporting or anything else. Right. I just fill out the paperwork and they start fresh on Q1, January 1 of the next year. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, I love your analogy of the, the POS system because to me, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's got all the benefits of that without really very much of the downside for the salesperson though. Right. Because when you're, you say, okay, somebody has a point of sale system and I want to switch them. Well, if you can switch them, you're going to keep them for a long time because it's like you said, it's fully integrated. But let's face it, switching an existing point of sale system, you know, do I would I rather have a tooth pulled or switch an existing point of sale system? You know, it's like, <laughs> eh, you know, um, the difference, though, is uh, it's probably actually more work to switch payroll processing. It's just not more work for the agent. <laughs> it's more work for the payroll processing company. Right. And so. Right. And so ultimately, the process you just described, really, we could encompass that, you know, encapsulate that by saying your team of relationship managers at Sempay is going to be emailing back and forth with the business owner until they get all the stuff they need is really what happens, right? Like there's not as much that the rep has to do. And it's not like the internet connection is going to go down and that's going to be like, there's none of these point of sale technical problems, but the great thing is once you get the switch over, it's very sticky. Um, I will say it does take a while. A lot of times I had somewhere I would sell them in July and we'd start November 1st. Yes, yeah, so it, sometimes it does take a while just because of the amount of data you have to get, but you know, ultimately once you get them up and running, they're like it's that lifetime residual and it's good to go. So, I know a lot of people listening are very interested. I'm sure they're going to want to learn more about adding payroll processing. So, give us any last words of wisdom that you have Robert about why they should consider selling payroll processing and then give us some contact information where should they go to learn more and find out about selling this uh, service for you. Yeah, obviously, you know, if if you're looking to increase revenue, you know, add an additional residual stream, which we should all be in this industry, right? Because we want that residual income. Yep. But most importantly, if you want to increase your customer retention rate, payroll services is a solution you should be adding to your portfolio. Uh, most, you know, um, if you want more information, uh, the best way to go uh, to find more information about Simpay is simpay.net. Again, www.simpay.net. Um, it has all of our information of our products and our services, obviously about payroll as well. 
And then if you want more information and talk to myself or a national sales manager uh, to how to become a reseller here with Simpay, all you got to do is call us at 866-253-2227. We'll be happy to talk to anybody. And again, I love to talk this industry, whether or not I'm recruiting you or talking to you uh, about coming on board with Simpay. I still love to be able to give my feedback. Um, and I like to see everybody successful in this industry. There's enough business out there for everybody. Yeah. And again, sharing knowledge is extremely important uh, for everybody to be able to grow and take that next step in the payment space. Great. Well, Robert, you definitely shared a lot of valuable insights today. I know our audience appreciates it. This is a topic that I wanted to cover for a while. I'm passionate about it. I, I made a lot of money selling payroll processing. It was very profitable for me. And I'm hoping a lot of our audience will, will uh, take your lead and jump on board with that. So thanks very much for jumping on here and sharing the information with us. Yeah, great stuff there, uh, Robert. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. Patty, it has been so great having Valor Paytech as the sponsor of the podcast. Yes, and, it has. You know, I'm telling you, I, I talk to enough people. I'm on social media so much in our industry. I think it's safe to say that Valor Paytech has, has become the leader in cash discounting terminals yes. in our industry. Now, they, as you know, and we've talked about, I mean, they do a lot of other things at this point, of course, with their omni-channel solutions, their gateway, sure. all of this. But if you're selling terminals to merchants for cash discounting, I think it's safe to say that Valor Paytech is the leader at doing that at this point. It's the place to go. I mean, you know, yeah. don't even, do not pass, do not stop and go, just go completely to Valor. <laughs> there you go. I like that. That's a good, good monopoly analogy. So, hey, everybody, yes. check it out. Go to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Check it out. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. So, Patty, I thought I would take a little uh, chapter out of a uh, video that I put out in our Facebook group. Um, let me say, okay. by the way, if you're in the industry, you're selling payment processing, and you are not part of our Facebook group, it's still the leading Facebook group as far as number of members, number of new posts, engagement, all of those things. And, of course, it has me. I mean, I don't of know course. what else you want. <laughs> what, else, what more could you want? Uh, but, well, maybe uh, me, but I'm on there occasionally. Patty's in there as well. So, you <laughs> right. know, we have everything. But, no, seriously, though, go to uh, the Facebook. Just search for CC Sales Pro Community. Um, you'll see it. It's a private Facebook group. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we, we really great conversations. I mean, yeah. I'm always I mean, you know, there isn't a week that goes by that it, there aren't a couple posts that get me going. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's yeah. a lot of good conversations in there. So and a lot of people helping each other. Yes, absolutely. Um, so this morning I, I posted in there and was talking about using capital. Um, it's something I've talked about a lot, but I, I've had lately a lot of um, questions from agents about how to use their money to grow their payment processing business. And this morning I gave two tips and I just wanna share those quickly with our podcast audience as well. Maybe come at it from a little bit of a different angle. First of all, I wanna talk about people, um, paying people with your money to grow your business. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why I have such a hard time. You know, I do a lot of consulting. I do, I do our six week jumpstart program. Right. I have a really hard time in our industry convincing people or getting them to understand that when you have these payroll costs, that if you're doing it correctly, it should be an investment and not an expense. Yes. And it should be an investment that 
pays off in the short term. Right. You know, the idea for me, when I hire a new employee, I figure that for three months, I'm going to lose a hundred percent of the money that I spend on them. Plus I'm going to lose some of my own time. Right. right. So it's sure. going to slow me down because I'm training them right. and I have to pay them and they're not really be, being productive at all. So that's right. what I figure, right? Then I figure the next three months it's I'm going to break even. I'm going to get back to being able to do my job, right? Mm -hmm. But then they're going to be very slow at their job, which is going to cause somebody else in my company trouble. And it's going to be kind of a break-even situation. But after that six-month mark, they should be making me money. I should be, if right. I'm paying somebody $50,000 a year, I should personally be making $100,000 a year you know, paying 50 to them, keeping 50, I should be doubling my money. Mm -hmm. If, if yeah. I can't, if I can't, you know, you know, take their payroll and then double that in revenue, then I'm doing something wrong. I shouldn't have hired that person. So right. either they should be eliminating an expense that I have with the vendor and saving me half on that or something. I mean, but there's got to be profit from these relationships. And, and one that's of, really where it's important in terms of who you pick too, right? I mean, <laughs> not just go grab somebody off the street, which some companies do. Yes. I mean, you have to really screen these yes. people to make sure that you're getting somebody who's going to return your investment. Absolutely. And and so then the next question becomes, well, what do they do in order to, to accomplish this? And just so far, if you're listening to this right now and what you're thinking of is salespeople, if that's when your mind, you think I'm talking about hiring salespeople, you're wrong. Right. And this is the number one mistake I see people make. You're a one, you know, one man, one woman operation. And you're like, okay, I'm making 20, 30,000 a month. I'm going to hire somebody. Who am I going to hire? If you hire a salesperson, I'm sorry, but you're just an idiot. That is the worst thing that you could do. You say, no, I'm going to hire three salespeople. You're even more of an idiot. Well, no, no. You got to hire somebody who can take that. You can offload the tedious right. stuff on so that you can be out selling more. Yes. So yeah. the idea is everybody asks the wrong question when they hire people. The question they ask is, what do I not want to do anymore? Mm -hmm. And they hire people to do the things they don't want to do, which is normally prospecting. Right. That is the wrong question. The right question is, what am I best at? And make sure that you are putting the maximum amount of time into that. Mm -hmm. Leverage your money to hire people that will allow you to spend more time doing what you're best at. Okay. Right. So as a general rule in our industry, what that looks like is I'm best at selling. So let's mm -hmm. go sales process, right? Right. Okay. I'm really good at selling people. So I'm going to hire an administrator, somebody to do my schedule, somebody to reach out to merchants for follow-up calls to set mm -hmm. those up, somebody to process my merchant applications, somebody to talk to the processor when there's an issue, somebody to take customer service calls, right? right. That's usually number one. Right. Number two in this fast-paced changing payments industry, it's normally going to be a technical person. Yes. Somebody to install my point of sale systems, somebody to install my uh, terminals, somebody to take those customer calls where I need to go out to the business, somebody to run the cables from the modem in the back up to the front counter so I can put the new point of sale system in, somebody to um, add the menu to the point of sale system, all of that, right? right. That's right. number two, okay? Finally, number three, now we get into the sales process and we say, okay, what am I doing now? Well, I'm just selling. Okay, well, what part of the sales process am I best at? Most of you, it's actually closing the sale that you're best at. Now it's okay to bring in the people that are just going to do the prospecting, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to hire the telemarketer to call and schedule appointments. You're going to hire the social media person to go on LinkedIn and mine leads for you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But before you want to do any of that, you really got to take everything else off your plate from an administrative perspective. So 
take your money and pay people that are going to give you a positive return on investment. That's number one. Okay. Number two, leverage your money to buy accounts. Um, I have talked mm-hmm. about this many, many times yeah, and I'm not going to belabor the point, but Patty, I am telling you, I'm going to put my head through this screen right here. <laughs> the next time I get a call from an agent who says, I don't know what to do. I can't close this account. And I'm like, tell me about it. Well, it's going to be a thousand dollars a month in profit, but in order for me to close the deal, I really need to buy them $7,000 with the hardware. They don't want to pay for it. Okay. I'm sorry, but you know, again, I'm being very mean today in my, in my questions to the field, right? I'm going to, you know, but this whole idiot thing is coming into my mind again. I'm sorry, but you're talking about getting a return on investment where you're going to make a $7,000 investment and get $12,000 a year. What is wrong with you? Buy the stinking hardware. Now you say, well, I don't have $7,000. Okay. Your processor should have $7,000. Mm-hmm. And I really want to challenge those people in our industry right now, it's time to put pressure on these processing companies. I am sick and tired of the way that they use their capital. Yeah. Look, they have this whole sales team out there that's struggling to, to put food on the table and build their portfolio. And all these people need is a $5,000 interest-free loan that they can pay back from residuals mm-hmm. and they can't get it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And if yeah. you're trying to close deals and all you need is a few thousand dollars and you say, well, you know, cause to you, like, you know, as a new rep in the industry, you're like thinking $10,000, that's so much money. The processing company you're selling for, if that's a lot of money to them, you need to run away as fast as you can. Yes. Because there are processing companies out there that literally spent $10,000 on employee dinner last month. Yeah. Seriously. I was just going to actually with the example I was going to use. Yeah, it's insane. (laughs) So it's like, go to them and say, hey, look, I've got this deal. It's going to generate $1,000 a month in profit. I need $10,000. You can keep half my residuals. You can keep 75% of my residuals until it's paid back, Mm -hmm. right? And get that deal done. And if that processor won't do that for you, find another one. It is time to draw a line in the sand and say, look, these agents need capital to close deals. You don't need to slide them a lot of cash under the table. You can write an agreement for the merchant. You can pay for the hardware. Like this is not that difficult, you know? But we need to put our capital into buying accounts, buying hardware, like I just talked about, paying for developers. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Paying mm-hmm. for a developer to do an integration to an ERP system or something along those lines, right? right, right. Paying for software, you know, whatever it is, think more in terms of how much would I have to invest in order to get this account over the line? And is this return on investment going to be worth it? If you're going to get your money back in 18 months, 12 months, six months, any of those numbers? It's a no-brainer. Hello, read a book on investing. Everybody's trying to get 12% a year, 8% a year. You're talking about getting 150% a year and you can't pull the trigger, right? Pull the trigger. If you're an individual agent, if you don't have the money, go to your processor, get their money and have them pull the trigger for you. Excellent idea. Great advice, James. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So, uh, some good news on the surcharging front, uh, James. The Colorado State Legislature has overwhelmingly approved a bipartisan bill that expressly permits credit card surcharging in the state. And it's now awaiting the signature of the governor to become law. 
Awesome. Yeah I, yeah, I heard about that. Is that uh, any movement there? It's just still as a, at this point, we're still waiting on the governor to get his pen. Yeah, out. but uh, it, you know, when you, when you have something that's like I think bipartisan. The, yeah, it was like a hundred to two. Or right, like. right. So yeah. I don't see well, any. Likely any the governor there. wants to stand against that. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think the governor wants to stand against that. So, sure. Uh, sure. But it's interesting too because it follows uh, by just a few months the federal court ruling that a Kansas law banning surcharging. Uh, was unconstitutional. Right. Um, and as a right. result, we now just have two states that are the lone holdouts. Uh, yes. That's uh, Connecticut and Massachusetts. Right. And, and, you know, it's really interesting, James. I remember you and I did a, um, a webinar on this a few, probably two or three years ago now, right? Um, yeah. I believe on surcharging yeah. and cash discounting. <clears throat> and at the time, at that time, there were 10 states. Yeah. So we're down to two. Yeah. That's pretty... It's monumental, you know. I think uh if memory serves, I think at that point I predicted about 36 to 48 months. I think you did. To be 50 and state and we're we're uh probably coming up on 30 months I think since we did that. Yeah. Um so hopefully these last two will come across the finish line before my uh 36 to 48 month window, but <laughs> Yeah, and 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 you know, you would think on the surface at least that it's like it's a no-brainer, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I talked to, to Jonathan Razzi and his staff over at Cardex. Yeah. They're the ones that brought the suit in Kansas. And they also pressed really hard for the Colorado law. Right. And, you know, they said they're weighing their options in Connecticut and Massachusetts because, you know, importantly, like Colorado and like Kansas, um, Connecticut and Massachusetts do permit cash discounting. Right. And uh, I thought it was interesting, Jonathan Razzi in his testimony last month that in Colorado before the uh, yeah. House, the Colorado House, he said that if uh, Colorado didn't change the current law, um, it will, quote, face costly and unnecessary litigation challenging the constitutionality of its no surcharging rule. Right. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, I did a little research over the weekend to just see you know, what are the murmurs in Connecticut and Massachusetts? Right. And I found some news reports um, out of Boston that suggest lawmakers there aren't keen on dropping the surcharging ban, but instead want to, as they put it, close the loophole that allows cash discounting. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting because when you have 48 states doing something. Right. Why be the why be the lone holdout? Um, you know, and, and, and they, they paint this as a, they paint this as a consumer, a pro-consumer move. Right. Right. But the fact is that, um, probably one of the most adamant pro-consumer lawmakers in Congress is Elizabeth Warren, who is the Senator from Massachusetts. Yes. And she supports surcharging. Yeah. Well, and you know, and obviously the reason why she supports it is that she is also uh, a senator that cares deeply about those in poverty. Yes. And that's and so the the thing yes. is, the you know the here here's the thing you know and and politics is always about how somebody's going to be painted and how they're it's going to be perceived. Of course. Sure. Sure. And what I find is in these states where you know they haven't encountered Jonathan Rossi and his team or others that are going to push things forward they are thinking in their mind, we want to protect consumers. Right. Once they understand, oh, wait a second, the way we're going to be painted is that we want to protect rich consumers yes. from poor consumers. Yes. Oh, wait a minute. All of a sudden, uh, the, the logic shifts a little bit and they realize, well, wait a minute. So actually what we're saying is 
the people with the most are going to pay the same price as the people with the least, even though the people with the most are going to get additional reward points when they pay with their cards. When they pay with their cards. Yeah. So ultimately, and again, it's it's important too that this argument is not saying we are mandating surcharging at every business. No. We're simply giving business owners their free speech rights. Um, and yeah, I, I think at this point, the, the precedent is so huge that um, I think the writing is on the wall. And the only question is how long are these two states going to take a you know, quasi-principled stand uh, against it, you know. I, I, I agree with you. And I think also what's really important is, you know, as Jonathan, and, and I think we're going to have him on a future podcast and he could yeah. probably elaborate on this a sure. little bit more, but, you know, the Colorado law has a lot of really pro-consumer elements to it. You know, there has to be a clear disclosure, you know, yes. you can't, you can't recoup any more than what you're paying. Yes. Um you know, you got to give them choice. And as long as those elements are in the law, yeah. Um, you know, and I think, John, I think he said something to the fact, you know, we're seeing a change now where there's going to be more uh, focus on exactly how surcharging is conducted and make sure that it's right. in compliance, not only with state laws, but, you know, the Visa MasterCard rules and that it is uh, both beneficial for merchants and consumers. Sure. And, and obviously, you know, I, I, you know, I'm sure we'll have that debate when John's on Johnson's on the podcast, but I mean, I, I actually do not think it will have that effect. <laughs> um, you know, in other words, what's interesting is I don't think it's going to have the effect of more compliance and, and more concern about the way it's done. It's probably going to have the opposite effect because in states like Colorado, where, you know, there is an active, um, you know, process where the attorney general's office and, and others in, in, you know, enforcement are actually looking for people who are surcharging so that they can stop that because it's against the law. Right. You know, and then it's like, well, I'm actually doing a cash discount. And it's like, well, what do you mean? What kind of cash discount? How is it a cash discount? All those questions are there. Once these laws go into effect saying there's no more ban on it, the problem is then nobody really enforces it. So you can look at that as a problem or a blessing, depending on which side of the aisle you're on with this uh, issue. But, um, but yeah, what I've seen is, um, the states where they, you know, you look at a state like, um, you know, Texas. I mean, Texas used to be pretty brutal about a lot of this stuff. And as soon as their surcharge law uh, or their ban on surcharging was overturned, um, it was kind of the wild, wild west. And, and you know, cash discounting has gone nuts down there with non-cash right. adjustment, service fee, everything else. A lot of them that, you know, a lot of them that I would agree with and a lot of them that I wouldn't even agree with because they're mm-hmm. so far outside the compliance. But, um, you know, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But ultimately... It's going to be a 50 state strategy. And then, and then the focus is going to turn to why can't we surcharge debit? Um, And that's, and that's either going to result in a federal law that's going to stay, you can, or it's going to result in federal regulations, lowering the cost of accepting debit, um, you know, as defined by the Durbin amendment, which is of course already in the works. Right. Exactly. I think, I think that's a hundred percent right. You know, and it's also, it's interesting because, I what I find really interesting is how silent the card brands have been on this. Remember when we mm-hmm. first started talking about this yeah. two or three years ago and everybody's oh, yeah. like, oh, the card brands are going to. And I yeah. remember I was at a speaking at an NEAA event and they asked me, what do you think? Again, this was two years ago. What do you think is going to be the big payments issue this year? And I said, surcharging and cash discounting. And I was on this panel with people from both Visa and MasterCard, and you could see that they were visibly like, not going to touch that, you know, and they, they, well, one, again, it's because the Durban amendment, just, 
you know, it was like a gag. I mean, it just, you know, yeah. What are you going to say? I mean, there's a, there's a federal law that's that specifically names the card brands and says you can't touch this. And so, right. yeah, you know, I think it really put them in it. And, and again, you know, you never want to go to battle if you know you're going to lose. Right. And, and again, for Visa and MasterCard right now, the courts being the way that they are and the, the positions that they've already taken on various things, expressions, uh, hair design, v the attorney general of New York, et cetera, et cetera, free speech rights. I mean, why? I mean, they've already caved on surcharging. So the only thing left is we don't think you should be able to surcharge debit, whether you call it a cash discount or not. Right. Well, who cares? What you're yeah. going to, what are you going to do? You're going to take it to court. You take it to court, you're going to lose. Yeah. Because the court's yeah. going to say, why? Who cares if it's debit or credit? I mean, the courts, to the, as far as the courts are concerned, a card is a card. Right. I've, I've never yet read any of these opinions. I haven't read the one in Colorado yet, but all these recent ones, Kansas, et cetera, all the recent ones I've read, I've never read a single one that even mentioned this idea of surcharging debit versus credit. No, I haven't either. And so, so I'll tell you what's interesting about it is, you know, you talk about, you know, oversight and compliance. Think about this for a second. Let's say that a merchant was surcharging debit cards in the state of Colorado after this law becomes, well, let me use Kansas since I've already read that one. Okay. You realize that they are actually not doing anything illegal in that state. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. They're breaking card brand rules. Right. They are not doing anything illegal. You could say they're breaching their contract with Visa and MasterCard, right? So that could be potentially looked at as, as a legal issue. But, you know, as far as enforcement goes, right. there's no one in Kansas that would walk in and see, well, you're surcharging debit. You can't do that because there is you know, the law in Kansas said it was okay to surcharge. Right. It didn't say right. anything about debit. It didn't say debit. anything about what kind right. of cards you can surcharge. Exactly. So, so what's happening is this entire issue is coming down to enforcement based on Visa. Mm-hmm. Well, what is the apparatus that Visa uses to enforce its rules? Nothing. It doesn't yeah, have it an doesn't even have one. It there's have no there's no Visa one. agents, you know, spot checking merchants. That doesn't happen. Yeah. So the only thing that happens is consumers file complaints, mm-hmm. and then that works its way up the chain. But since consumers don't seem to care, um, and when they do complain, no. you know, I mean, I I came up with a few complaints in some of the articles I read yeah, over the weekend. Sure. sure, and but when they do complain, they complain to the consumer. Protection agency. Protection agency. And that, and the opinions come back. It says it's not illegal. Exactly. So So. it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, and and on the flip side, I will say, you know, working with a lot of the larger companies, I mean, yes, they do get a lot of consumer complaints, but I mean, percentage wise, it's very tiny. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, you know, we'll be very interested to see how it progresses for sure. Yeah, for sure. This episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast was brought to you by Valor Paytech, the technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non-cash adjustment charges to tips. Now, all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing, all with cash discounting in mind. Valor Paytech, bold ideas, smart execution. Make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. 
The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.